This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome. You've found Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Elizabeth Wharton, at Lawyer Liz, an attorney with Paul Booth Smith in their Atlanta office, but for the purposes of this show, I am not your attorney. This is not legal advice. Instead, Buzz Off is a weekly look at all of the buzz of technology, the Internet of Things, autonomous vehicles, drones, and really everything in between. So thank you for joining us. And let's just jump right in. There has been a lot going on in the last few days that play into really hacking in general and security research and what to do with devices, but also stock market. I mean, it just cuts across the entire broad range. So one of our first guest today, or our first guest today, is Rob Graham, a frequent contributor to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. And Rob wrote a very thought-provoking and in-depth look at what is going on with medical device research and when do you disclose and when do you not. So we're going to look at Rob's take on things from a security researcher and also a business investor standpoint, and then take a little lighter tone with the rest of the show, because if you're in the Atlanta area, then you are well aware that Labor Day weekend, while it means barbecues and picnics and taking in a three-day holiday weekend in Atlanta, it really means Dragon Con. And with thousands of people coming into town this year, Stephen Fleming is hosting and coordinating several tracks on the space race. And with SpaceX and all of the other private entities taking their research above and beyond, we've invited Stephen to join us and share his thoughts from the investor community, but also what's going to be happening at DragonCon. But enough about that. Right now, I've got with me Rob Graham. So, Rob, welcome back to the show, and thank you for writing a very thought-provoking and thorough piece on what's going on with St. Jude and their pacemakers, medical devices. So, welcome. Thanks for having me. And, Rob, for those who hadn't had the chance to read your uh, post yet, it's on Arata's Securities blog. And really, can you give an overview of what happened? We heard news breaking. Researchers found a vulnerability, or several, in pacemakers. And rather than going to the manufacturer, rather than going to the FDA, they went a different direction with disclosing their research. Right. So what happened is, is they went to a company called Muddy Waters, Muddy Waters, 
which over the past few years has been making a name for itself by investigating financial fraud in publicly traded firms. And then when they find it, they report it and also sell the stock short. And they've bankrupted a few companies doing this, which is for a short seller makes an enormous amount of profit. So basically they're conducting research and due diligence right? with the idea of making a couple of dollars before the rest of the market does. Right. And in this case, they worked with cybersecurity researchers not to find financial fraud, but to find uh, cybersecurity weaknesses so severe that they claim that the FDA would cause the company to withdraw the, pace, the devices, in this case pacemakers, from the market, and which would take two years to, to redesign and remanufacture, so they'd be out of the market for two years. And that accounts for about half of St. Jude's um, revenues. In other words, shorting the, 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 the stock would make an enormous amount of profit if the FDA actually followed through and actually caused them to, to withdraw their product from the market. So you have a private company that hired a – did they hire the researchers or did the researchers come to them first? Somehow they came together. So you have a private investment company. You have a – security researchers that uncover vulnerabilities and we're not and Katie talked about this on last week's Buzz Off show where you have I mean we're not talking about software running uh, our computers if the computer crashes okay but I mean this is direct devices I mean medical devices implanted in patients Dick Cheney pacemaker kind of things. Right. And so they find this, they find these vulnerabilities that they claim are so detrimental, devastating. I mean, as you highlight in your blog post, they use just uh, fantastic, I mean, they got out the the thesaurus and said, how shocking can we, can we make this? Right. So it's clear, um, reading the Muddy Waters post that they're trying to manipulate people's perceptions. So they use the word shocking four times and as you said, synonyms of that many more times. I didn't search for all synonyms. I probably should have. Well, Rob, uh, I think you have your homework cut out for you. Uh, The listeners will be expecting a word count uh, update uh, shortly. The word shock I searched for (laughs) four times. Well, and so they're claiming that the F, I mean, they're looking in their crystal ball and in their report saying the FDA is going to be horrified and they're going to investigate, but they're not associated with the FDA, are they? I mean, I'm not aware of any links. I mean, they're a private company. Right. So they, they, they can't. Obviously, they're trying to manipulate the FDA into doing the actions that they predict the FDA will do. By being so shocked and amazed at the uh, the depravity of the of the computer code that they you know they want to convince the FDA to take action, um, I doubt that the FDA will. Well, and it, when they're talking about their so it, when they're talking about these uh, breaches and this uh, horrible security lapses, did they? outline in their report what those issues were? Yes, they did. And some of them are, are obviously wrong. Um, 
Well, obviously. You know, what, I, what I mean is, is that one of the biggest issues they kept pointing out was the fact that it was easy for the security researchers to debug the code, to reverse engineer the devices, to figure out how the devices worked. That the devices used off-the-shelf components, which were readily available, readily understandable, with documentation available, rather than using proprietary means that were secret. So, now, how many, how many, how many bugs or vulnerabilities did they outline in their report? Well, I want to, to focus on this other issue. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Um, but. In the world of cybersecurity, we have this thing called Kirchhoff's Principle. It was from the 1800s about how you design cryptography. And what we found over the years is that far from trying to make everything secret being good, that's actually a bad principle because it means that you've kept all these things secret from people who are trying to help you. That all these... St. Jude cannot hire security professionals to come in and verify they're secure if everything's proprietary. And it would be really mm-hmm. expensive. Instead, what you want is to have everything open. All the details open except for, like, the passwords, the cryptography keys, and that sort of thing. Then any researcher can come in and say very quickly whether it's secure or not. So the point being is that this Muddy Waters, print, um, this Muddy Waters document got one of the most fundamental principles of cybersecurity absolutely wrong, which demonstrates sort of their their lack of, I don't know, quality in the report. So what and what you're talking about is their main critique on the St. Jude's pacemaker devices was that they were, were, open. were open and used software or uh, hardware or both. And components that were either available for years that anyone could purchase uh, on their own for other projects or incorporate into other devices. And so they weren't specially created. They weren't right. the Coca-Cola's formula for Coke locked away in a vault. Instead, it was almost a Paula Deen cooking show or, you know, uh, one of the other, Trisha Yearwood, where they kind of go out and say, here's our recipe. Here's what right. we've put in there. Here's, I put a dash of this. So that's, according to Muddy Waters and MedSec, the researcher, that's bad. Right. But everyone in the security industry knows that's good. You need more openness. Because when you have a mass market device that's been thoroughly tested and it's very open to everyone and everyone can point to it and point out flaws, it gets better and gets improved. And those are the things you want in pacemakers. You don't want this proprietary research or some Yahoo engineer who doesn't understand cybersecurity designs a chip and then you know, gives it to cybersecurity research and they say, well, it's all wrong because you did miss these obvious points. You don't want that in your pacemaker. You want this one mass market chip that's as reliable like a Honda or something. You don't, so, you don't want the BMW of a pacemaker. You want a Honda. You want something that's absolutely reliable, that's open, and everyone knows how to work with it, and it's 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 built like that. So they've taken their critiques, put them into a report, and then go public with it and kind of catch St. I mean, did St. Jude have any warning this report was coming out or many days ahead of time uh money waters was was teeing it up in the press so they had like a week at least so but they weren't showing it so they weren't telling saint jude here's here are the issues so that you can uh, address them before we go public it was hey we've right. we found something haha stay tuned and that was the lead up 
that St. Jude received? Well, normally you like to disclose them. If you're responsible to a researcher, you want to disclose things to a vendor ahead of time. Though, as Muddy Waters points out, that um, a lot of these changes that Muddy Waters wants to make would take two years and a full redesign of the product. So even if they had given them a month or six months to uh, lead up to this, it wouldn't have really helped in terms of securing the product. Because it doesn't, you'd have to give them two years, basically. Well, but you would give them two years to start working on it so they didn't want to sit on their research for two years. Well, no, because then you can't profit by shorting the stock now, can you? Well, exactly. So without question, we know where their motive lies in how they proceeded and that they wanted to short the stock and have a financial gain and then worry about addressing or giving a lead-up time. Well, there, from a free market point of view, Muddy Waters' point of view is that there's always other competitors out there. So they're trying to, to, to make the market, improve the market by get, by winnowing out the less less worthy. So when you're talking about the competitors, you're talking about the device manufacturers. Right. that Other uh, makers. Now, did they look at other device manu- other devices from other manufacturers? Yeah, yeah. Uh, MedSec, the company, the cybersecurity researchers who looked at the product, looked at many pacemakers. They, they claim like, all the man, all the major manufacturers, and they point out St. Jude as being the worst. And what metrics did they use for determining who is the worst? It's not really discussed. Uh, they have a small little um, chart breaking it down. How, uh, where in cases that Saint Jude did not use encryption, other manufacturers did use encryption, but it's very weaselly and very hard to read. So it sounds like it, it wasn't scientific, or it wasn't something that would be vetted for academic or peer review. It was more right. uh, well. And so when we get back, we're going to talk from the. When we get back from the commercial break, we're going to talk a little bit about what they actually found and some of the ethics behind it. But you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. This is Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing, have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you'll be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. 
His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. And today we are chatting with Rob Graham, CEO, co-founder of Errata Security. And Rob wrote a little piece a couple of days ago on Errata Security's blog that delved into and dissected the St. Jude Muddy Waters MedSec pacemaker device and vulnerability disclosure. We're going to call it a debacle because, well, nobody's coming out of this without a little bit of mud, cake, something on their face. And before the break, Rob had outlined for us the research side of things, how MedSec and Muddy Waters it took apart the St. Jude pacemaker devices, but really what we hadn't talked about yet was, all right, so they released this report and it outlines these shocking, uh, using their words, uh, disclosures and vulnerabilities, but that, that wasn't the end of it. I mean, they didn't really tell us exactly how they did it, did they, Rob? Well, Muddy Waters um, uh, um, they, they, they outlined roughly what they did and it appears that um, they uh, just did the normal security, cybersecurity research on these devices. They did nothing special, no special hacking that other than what we normally do in the community. And so when they released the the vulnerabilities, I mean, and when they outline some of them, part of what they're talking about, and as you highlight in your blog post, they're what most people will be familiar with proximity-based attacks. You have to be, if a nefarious uh, evildoer is going to exploit these issues within the St. Jude pacemaker, they have to be within a certain range of the patient. So the way that modern pacemakers work is that they have monitoring tools that normally would sit next to the person's bed at night so that the tools can then uh, grab all the information from the pacemaker and ship them up to St. Jude's and to your doctor. So your doctor knows on a day-to-day basis, if the doctor cares to look, what your pacemaker is doing. And what your health is, what your heart rate is, and that sort of thing. So that device that sits next to your bed connects to the Internet. So connecting to the Internet means hackers can come back the opposite way, hack that device. And the communication is two ways, which means that the device sends commands to the pacemaker as well as the pacemaker sending data telemetry back to the device. And 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 is this communication, it's over our home Wi-Fi network, or is it other means? Uh, the devices can do dial-up if you need to. They can do um, cell phone if you need to, or they can do Wi-Fi. So some of the issues we had talked about before with securing your home networks and doing all that, they play into this, just not this yes. specific attack. 
Right. So this attack does require local proximity, which means now that we know the radio commands to send to the pacemaker to do make it do bad things, um, there's a couple of movie plots that you might think of. Um, one movie plot might be someone at a mall who takes a directional antenna and just points it at people and tries to crash their pacemaker. That still requires that the person's pointing at the victim for like an hour or two, sending these bad radio waves to make it crash. And when you say make it crash, it basically it's when I'm using my cell phone and something happens and suddenly it just freezes. Right. They're sending signals that would cause that to freeze. Right. Now, to freeze is a difficult concept here. Um, St. Jude says that, no, their device, their pacemaker continues to work. It's just that the communications part has frozen, and that the, but, but that you're still not going to die because the pacemaker stops functioning. Um, but in other cases, that not, may not happen. In one of the, the cases that Muddy Water shows is that the pacemaker starts firing improperly. So there's what, what exactly happens, we still don't know. We just have counterclaims from both Muddy Waters and St. Jude's, and so we don't really know exactly what happens when it freezes. So, in one of the other attacks, and I don't know if this fell into that same as it drains the battery, right? And so, with that, it tells a little bit more about. I mean, obviously, a dead battery, it's not going to work, but that just doesn't happen overnight. I mean, the batteries are intended to last a fairly long time. They do last a fairly long time, but um, RF communication is, is both ways. And it takes energy for the device to both process the incoming signal, translate it into some command, and then respond back. And so if you have just that constant pinging back and forth, you'll eventually drain it much faster than it would normally normally use. And that does take, I think many Waters said it took them like a week to do. So the movie plot scenario there would be that um, as a hacker I break into that home device, that monitors the pacemaker, hack that first, and have that device keep sending these commands to the pacemaker while at night, so that over a week it drains the battery. And so I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I could see where, oh, it's draining faster than I would expect, but there are ways around that. I mean, you can go get it recharged, well, get it replaced. Well, if, if, pa- if the patient goes to the doctor, the doctor says, hey, the battery's low, we need to take it out and put a replacement in. But the idea, the movie plot scenario we're talking about here is that you've hacked the home device, so the home device never tells you the low battery warning, which it otherwise would. But you've hacked the home device, now the home device says, nope, A-OK, the battery's just fine, when it's actually been completely drained, it's no longer working. So certainly catastrophic-type events, but not exactly flashy, instantaneous. It's unlikely the patient would fall over and die that moment, yes. So, sorry if any students were looking to get out of exams or anything by, or, oh, the police officer can't give me the ticket because, oh, he just killed her. It's not that. No. But, so, they disclose these vulnerabilities and publish a report to much fanfare. And what did St. Jude, how was their response lacking? So I've seen three responses now. One was a pure marketing person that said nothing's no, none of it's true. Which There's nothing to see here. Nothing to Keep see moving. here. Move on. Just, just a marketing person doesn't know whether it's true or not. Just but whose job it is to say it's not true. Then a second 
press release um, that went into more detail and said it's not true because these devices only work over se- over seven feet. And that's bogus because that's not how radio waves work. There's no like cutoff that happens right at eight feet that it no longer works and seven feet it does. No, it's designed to work reliably at seven feet. But radio waves and just slowly um, get weaker and weaker, weaker the further what you go. So it's it's less and less reliable, which means fifty feet away it may not work reliably for like continuous monitoring. You know gaps in the data, but for hacking we don't care. So fifty feet is perfectly fine especially with a directional antenna and i was gonna say if if it's my pacemaker we're talking about uh i'm interested in that one in a million chance right because well it's my pacemaker and hackers sending a million packets almost all which fail is no problem for hackers so anyway there then there was this third uh Really, uh, this third press release that went into even more detail from St. Jude's that talks about how their when their communications crash, the pacemaker part still functions and still, um, pr- you know, paces the heart, still you know, triggers the heart. So we're chatting with Rob Graham on what happens or really some of the ethical issues, and we've set up the scene. And so in the last bit, it, okay. St. Jude didn't respond openly, quickly. MedSec and Muddy Waters took a unique approach. I mean, their goal was not patient safety, or their first goal was not. So where do we go from here? As a security researcher, how does this impact what you're doing? So there's a lot of ethical questions, one of which is just within our own industry, our selfish ethics, that this sort of thing does hurt us in a couple of ways. One way uh, is that um, security research overall helps the whole industry. The more that we attack bad products, the more good products will foster, or will continue on and succeed. And so security research, finding all these security problems before hackers do, is a big thing that helps products become more secure. But if you look at us and hate what we're doing, especially companies like um, St. Jude, they're going to lobby Congress to make the security research illegal and something that people should not be doing. And that will just make us everyone suffer because then the only people doing security research, if you outlaw security research, the only people doing security research will be outlaws, hackers. Well, and what happens, too, kind of on the flip side, so either it increases government regulation, but at the same time, it takes away the incentive or the ability, as you said, to poke and prod and make it better. Because where is the medical device manufacturer's incentive to fix if they don't have to worry about anyone knowing that it's broken? Right. So the only way that they'll fix it is if we make it public at some point in time. Now, hackers, though, when they kill people, the pacemaker bug, no one will ever know how it happened because the hackers won't ever tell. And so making this public is is the key thing at some point. Well, and so at the end of the day on Friday when all this was going on, trading of the stock or the shares was halted for St. Jude. For a brief period, yeah. For a brief period. And so how do you see, I mean, this is probably the first time publicly anyone's known about this going on as a stock manipulation tool. It's not probably the first. It's not going to be the last, is it, Rob? 
Well, we we looked at other hacking events that happen to company companies. In general, they don't hurt stock price. Um, investors see them as a one-time event that can be fixed. So when Target had a hundred million, well, I forget the exact number, accounts uh, hacked and credit cards stolen, and had to spend and hundreds of millions of dollars to fix that, their stock price didn't suffer. It was seen as a one-time event and therefore not part of their continuing business, so investors didn't care. Um, this event's a little bit different in that they assume the FDA is going to take that take the product off the market, which will have enormous financial impact and will hurt their business and would hurt the stock price if the FDA did this. But it's also fascinating to see whether this will impact the FDA's. I mean. At this point, has a report even been made to the FDA that you're aware of? I've seen no no response from the FDA. Well, and they're not always, you know, one of the questions would be, will this influence how, do they want to make a point of this is not how you should do it, come to us first, so we're going to go easier or we're going to go harder as a patient or a consumer? How do you see this impacting our safety? Well, in theory, now the cat's out of the bag and hackers can now follow. Even though the Mighty Waters document is very sparse on details, they do leave a clear path for how hackers can exploit this. They can go on to eBay, buy for $30 it's this um, at-home device that that St. Jude's has. Merlin at Home was the name. Um, and they can pull it apart pretty easily. Electronics, whether it's your phone or whether it's any device you have in your house, it's pretty easy for hackers of a certain skill level, which is very, very common, to uh, take them apart, reverse engineer them, and find out how to get into them and how to do things with, interesting things with them. So the path is clear that people who have the St. Jude's devices are... Ne- now technically a little bit more vulnerable to hackers than they were before. But on the other hand, if someone wanted to kill you, they probably wouldn't do it with your pacemaker. They'd probably just slip some poison into your drink. Well, excellent. On that note, uh, Rob, thank you for joining us, and I will no longer accept any beverages, food, or add those to the items that when Rob hands them to you, stay away. But thank you again for joining us. Go find Rob's blog post on this on eratasec.com uh, blog spot or blog post blog.eratasec.com and we'll be right back on buzz off with lawyer liz your auto love and investment demands the best and for 45 years passport transport has been meeting those demands from manufacturers to the one car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby the first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. 
and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz and on America's Web Radio. I'm your host at Lawyer Liz. And so now that Rob Graham has completely scared us about the devices that we have and what uh, hackers are doing, on a lighter note, the airspace uh, travel industry is about to take off even more so and Georgia has played a central part in really building some of the technology behind it but also trying to open up more opportunities and one of the we'll call them one of the pillars of Atlanta's startup community it's okay and to call me old man. It, no, 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 no. But even more so with a deeper background just in the innovation space within technology. Stephen Fleming has joined us and you're going to have one heck of a fun weekend with uh, Try to give a little bit of a background on Dragon Con because it's a little bit of everything for the geek in all of us. Dra- Dragon Con is, is awesome. I've been going for 20 years. Uh, it has gotten enormous. I think officially they claim 60-some-odd thousand people. It's actually more than that. Uh, the fire marshal looks the other way. Um, it's it's a huge, huge conference. A lot of it that people know about is around media, um, movies, television, books, comic books, things like the, that. The parade. The I parade. mean, how the, can the you not? This year, so you can watch how the can you not go? On your own couch. So, uh, so you, you, everyone near Atlanta ought to go to the parade at least once. But Dragon Con is so big. Uh, that if you take 1% of the DragonCon attendees, uh, those are people who are actually not satisfied with reading science fiction. They actually want to go build it. And so they actually have, or we have our own track uh, over in the Hilton. There's about five rooms dedicated to it, uh, the reality tracks. So there's a space track, a science track, an electronic frontier track, several others. Uh, and that attracts several hundred people uh, that are not there to wear costumes, are not there, there to, you know, stand in line to get autographs. Uh, we're telling each other what we're doing to build um, spacecraft, what we're doing to uh, with our research in laboratories, what we're doing uh, on the electronic frontier. So it's, uh, so it's, what, it's, it's a different flavor of a Dragon Con. So basically, y'all are getting to build and live the dream of every small child who wanted to be an astronaut, wanted to... Uh, 
play with the latest gadgets and stuff. Y'all get to do it. Well, it's about time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm of the age, uh, I was seven years old when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. And I thought that by now I'd be living on the moon and that hundreds of thousands of other people would be. Yeah, I, I watched the movies. This is what was supposed to be happening. And not not one of the more uh, facet. I mean, because if you look, Mars and some of the other planets uh, have a little more aura to them. But you you were going to be happy with the moon, huh? Uh, I'd be really happy with the moon. Uh, so the grandkids can can, can have can have Mars. Um, the moon has a lot going for it. Um, most of what the moon has going for it is three days away from Earth. So if something bad happens. Um, you can be in Walter Reed Army Hospital in three days. Um, and if something bad happens on Mars, you're going to die on Mars. So uh, I, I, I think there's plenty of money to be made between here and the moon. I think there's plenty of development to happen between here and the moon. Uh, that's actually the topic of one of my I'm, – I'm uh, I have a panel in Minnesota solo uh, talk at DragonCon this weekend. My solo talk is why we should go back to the moon rather than going to Mars. So in it – it's almost as if I set that up for you. I mean, you know, and so without giving it away, but what sparked your interest in this other than the, you know, so you have the childhood, you, you see this going on and you see the developments, you say, okay, challenge accepted, I've got this. But how did it continue to hold your interest? Uh, I wrote some very big checks. Um, back when I was in the venture capital business, uh, I ran across one of the first um, private spacecraft startups. And I brought it to my venture capital firm and said, would you like for our partnership to invest in a spaceship company? And once they stopped laughing at me, they said no. And I said, well, would you mind if I invested my own money in this private spacecraft company? And they said, you know, it's your money. Do what you like. Uh, so I actually uh, wrote a check back in the year 2000. Uh, so I've been invested in the private spacecraft business for 16 years. I've now done either six or seven deals. I've actually kind of lost track. Um, that must be nice that you were so influential and have your uh, expertise being sought that you lose track of which well, one. Um, they, just, they, they, they like the money, too. Um, it, it's, it, it's been interesting. When I did this in 2000, 2001, 2002, there was what was called the giggle factor. People really did laugh. That oh, the you're giggle. Building, you're building spaceships. Um, and they just laugh. They'd say, you know, that's just, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard of. Um, now I tell people I'm invested in private spacecraft companies. They go, oh, like Elon Musk. So, so, <laughs> so Elon has completely changed uh, the terms of debate among the investment community from that's a silly thing to do to, oh, how do we get into that? And so the amount of venture capital, the amount of angel investment uh, that has gone into um, spacecraft and related businesses, whether it's launch, whether it's building the satellites, whether it's analyzing the data, uh, has gone up. I hate to use the word astronomically, uh, but it's gone up quite a bit uh, since SpaceX started doing what they've been doing lately. Well, and it, Georgia is certainly not the only one doing some of this, but Georgia and the General Assembly last year was pushing a spaceport, you know, in Camden County and really trying to find ways to say, we're open for business, that how can we help? What do you see as someone who has built and invested in some of these companies? What do they need? Well, a couple of things. Um, one is these rockets do need a place to launch. Um, 
Georgia has an unfair advantage against about 40 other states as we do have East Coast frontage on the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, you need to launch rockets to the east to take advantage of the Earth's rotation. We really do have oceanfront property. We have oceanfront property, uh, and we have really good oceanfront property uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's in a relatively sheltered part of the coast. It's, actu- it's actually, uh, back in the 60s, uh, NASA was looking at two parcels of land uh, to be America's first spaceport. Um, it was Cumberland Island. Um, and Cape Canaveral, and they obviously chose Cape Canaveral. Um, Man, we should have done a better job. Well, you know, their senators lobbied a little stronger, I think. Uh, but there still is uh, not Cumberland Island itself, because that's a protected wildlife refuge. But just inland from that uh, is a piece of property which Camden County is negotiating uh, to put a spaceport onto. The great advantages are uh, the weather there cooperates. Um, there's not nearly as many hurricanes as there are at the Cape. All the transportation infrastructure is there from interstate highway to rail lines to deep barge traffic to uh, uh, airports, both in Jacksonville and in Brunswick. Um, and the, uh, the the logistics of building something there and launching something there are so much easier because it's not federally controlled airspace. Uh, Cape Canaveral is also the home of a lot of military operations. And so if you are Elon Musk or if you're Jeff Bezos or you're someone else trying to launch out of Cape Canaveral, you have to go to the Air Force and knock on the door and say, you know, may I please launch next Tuesday at 9 o'clock? And they might say, no. Well, and I'm, I'm picturing almost pulling up with the rocket. I mean, like a, a small child pulling their red wagon, uh, red flyer, you know, wagon going, can, can I launch my rocket next week? Uh, but t- the technology plays a key into it, too, in that you want to have access to the latest labs and gadgets and uh, Georgia has some of that uh, going on, too. There are several states which are going to benefit a lot from the the private space revolution. Um, A lot of the development historically has been done in California. That's where the space shuttles were built. That's where a lot of the aerospace community is headquartered. But for a lot of reasons, some geographical, some political, California is a terrible place to launch rockets out of. So you're not going to see a lot of spaceport activity. And that's not a political statement. Uh, no, no, whatsoever. Or uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, there is some politics, but also it's, it's that, you know, downrange of California is people. And, and you don't want to be launching rockets over people. Uh, you want to launch them over either desert or oceans. Um, so there's, there's some difficulties launching in California. Uh, the states that are really benefiting right now are Florida for historical reasons. That, that's where Cape Kennedy has been forever, Cape Canaveral. Um, and Texas. Uh, Texas had Houston, the Johnson Space Center at NASA, and that is where uh, SpaceX, and that is where Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos' company, and that is where several other space startups, uh, including the one I'm involved with, Xcore Aerospace, uh, have located in Texas, and they'll fly out of out of different spaceports in Texas. Um, there's room for another, and I think Georgia is very well positioned to be the next one. There's some things the legislature has to do. There's some things the business community has to do. Uh, but in general, we've got a, a pretty good hand of cards to play. So now that it, there is availability, or there some of the states, as you said, Texas is providing a a very welcoming host mm-hmm. to some of this research. What's next? I mean, they're they're poised, they're ready. I mean, SpaceX is testing again this or launching again this week. Right, they'll they'll reuse a rocket, a big rocket for the first time. There have been small rockets reused, some with people on them, with scaled composites. Um, 
uh, Jeff Bezos with Blue Origin has has reflown the same vehicle four times. It's a much smaller vehicle than SpaceX. SpaceX is going to refly a first stage, hopefully weather cooperating this week, um, which is an enormous step forward. The reason it's so important to get to reuse, uh, and this is what the space shuttle tried to do 40 years ago, and for a lot of reasons the space shuttle was unfortunately a, a, a spectacular failure. Um, the, the reason it's so important to get to reuse is, is imagine if you were going to fly from here to um, Sydney, Australia. And at the end of that trip, uh, Delta would take that probably 767 or 777 and push it off the end of the runway into Sydney Harbor and crash it. And the only time that plane would be used is when you're, you're one trip. That would be a very expensive airplane ticket. It would. So, and so the <laughs> trick to getting prices down is to get the cost down. The trick to getting cost down is to reuse the same assets over and over and over again. And so with that, we're going to take our commercial break. But when we come back, let's delve into how to become the bargain shoppers on Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio, coming to you each Wednesday from 2 to 3 live and podcasts available on a variety of places, but catch us more recently on iTunes. And I'm your host, Lawyer Liz chatting now with Stephen Fleming on some of the 
really fascinating space exploration aspects that will be coming to Dragon Con in Atlanta this weekend. But also, Stephen is a longtime uh, investor, catalyst, and spark in the technology industry. So, uh, And yes, I am, for full disclosure, trying to finagle my way onto a uh, private space rocket ride. Uh, Stephen is involved with at least one of the companies involved in that space race. So no, no, no finagling required. It, Buy a ticket. Man. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. But, but they're getting cheaper. It, well, and that's what we were talking about before the break. So thank you first for uh, joining us. But how do you, how does that work? Because as you were talking about it, reuse is going to be key. Mm-hmm. And before we can even, as Earthlings look at exploring further, it's got to make sense. Otherwise... Nobody's gonna have the resources really to do it, right? It's it, it's it's too expensive to do other than as as a as a, as a national priority uh, for demonstrating national strength, which is really what happened with Apollo, uh, and and that's really where. Um, not to give away too much of what I'll say on, on Sunday because it's not secret. It's a preview. I've, I've about preview. It. Um, you know, we really went off the rails uh, with our national space policy in 1961. Uh, when John F. Kennedy said, and I can't do his accent, you know, we should bring a man to take a man to the moon and land him safely within 10 years. Um, that was set up as a Cold War political goal rather than a technology and economic development goal. And the analogy that I always like to point out is when the railroads were built, we didn't have a national railroad program. When the airplane was built, we didn't have a national airplane program. We didn't have a national automobile program. Why did we have a national space program? I'll say it if, seems to take some of the fun out of it. Well, and it took the, it took the profit motive out of it um, because we set it up where one one of the lines used during Apollo was waste anything but time because there was a race and there there was a race to get to the moon before the Soviets. Um, so there was a profit motive if you were a contractor. There was, but honestly, they didn't make that much. This was a different time. That's in America. disappointing. Well, so, on some level, but, but but the idea of saying, well, you know, what would be the most economical way of getting people to the moon, or the most reusable way of getting people to the moon, or a way to getting people to the moon where they could exploit resources on the moon for for, for benefit back on Earth, none of that was considered. The, the goal was to put footprints and flags in the lunar surface and come home, and that was it, because that's what JFK challenges to do. Now, 40 years later, 50 years later, uh, people are asking questions about, well, can we make money on the moon? Or can we make money between here and the moon? Or can we make money taking materials off the moon and putting them back into Earth orbit? That's a completely different set of questions that are being answered now, being asked now. And that means you have to answer them with different technologies. One of the keys is reuse. Well, and one of your guests uh, during the panel on, is it Friday afternoon? Uh, panel is Friday. That's right. Mm-hmm. So one of your guests on the panel, he's actually been, I mean, he has, in the Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. uh, he has been the wallet. He has 
He had, he had a much better experience than Howard Wallowitz did. Um, but uh, no, Richard Garriott is is one of the uh, uh, is probably half a dozen, less than a dozen private individuals that have bought tickets uh, and have been to the International Space Station. He bought that with his own money. Um, he's uh, many people know him as Lord British, a video game developer, very successful. Uh, and he first he had a blast, so it's always fun to listen to him talk about his experience. Pun intended. Uh, pun intended. Uh, but also he was one of the first trying to show ways you could make money through an experience in space. So whether it was collecting data or whether it was running the equivalent of a podcast or doing other things, he was trying to show the revenue sources that would be available to a private individual or a private company in orbit. And as he said, the business case didn't quite close, but the next time he does it, he thinks he'll make money on it. Well, and one of the things that... with this panel and these discussions, this isn't your first time doing this. I mean, y'all have no, been... We've been doing this for a while. Um, this, I'd have to look back. I think we've probably been doing variations on this panel. I'm probably the the, the, the longest-standing pole in the tent. But so, well, no, John uh, John Bradford's been there probably every year. Uh, there, there's been several people in and out, depending on their, their work requirements and so forth. Um, but we've been doing it about 10 years. And it's a very different experience because... Ten years ago, we were all talking about this is what's going to happen with the privatization of space travel. Uh, and for the last several years, including day after tomorrow, we get to talk about this is what's happening right now. We can show you video of SpaceX returning a booster. We can show you Blue Origin reusing a vehicle. We can show you video of a private habitat attached to the space station right now. Uh, moon Express will be landing a private mis- private mission on the moon next year. This is stuff that's happening while we're watching. And well, 10 years ago, it was all future. And so how many – is this the first time that y'all have had Richard on the panel, or has he been uh, – because I'd love to – I wish we had that time travel to see how the conversation evolved he, from – He wasn't on before. He's been, he's been on – he wasn't on before he went to station. He's been on after his trip to station. He was on um, – uh, an asteroid mining panel a couple years ago, and he may have been on the commercial space panel last year. Uh, but he's he's a Dragon Con regular. I mean, he has huge fan base uh, from his video game uh, history. Uh, but he does uh, cross the street sometimes and come over and hang out with the space geeks, and so it's it's always fun to see him. Well, and I can only picture that moment uh, from someone who enjoys the science fiction and the you know that realm of it when you realize, holy. You know, cow, radio edit, you know, uh, I'm really going to space. Mm -hmm. And so that, uh, if y'all haven't asked him the question, uh, on my behalf, if you could, was, uh, were there radio edits needed when he realized (laughs) the first, uh, when he got the A-OK, you're going up? Because the the money was not going to be the problem with him. uh, No, I'm sure he was... uh, both excited and you have to be a little scared um it it is going to be less scary in the future it's going to become much more routine i mean back in the 1920s getting on an airplane was scary Uh, now it's like you know the wi-fi doesn't work i'm irritated because my wi-fi doesn't work on my airplane Uh, if you've seen lewis ck's uh comedy bit um it'll take a while for space travel to get to that but we're headed that way so and where do you see both the companies you're working with and between the georgia innovation community, but also 
innovation community does, or what's next? Well, I think that several things are happening right now. Um, one is you're seeing many, many small satellites being launched. Moore's Law, uh, which is the, the, the increase in processing capacity of computers, Moore's Law is finally affecting spacecraft in a, in a, in a notable way. So that a spacecraft that used to be the size of a, of a school bus uh, you can now replicate in something that you or I could lift. It, it's the size of, uh, you know, uh, you know, a couple loaves of bread. Uh, so you're seeing many, many small satellites being launched. That's led to a whole new set of sensors, devices, things looking down at the Earth and up at the sky. Um, there's a lot of discussion about asteroid mining. Uh, that's going to be a little further out. Uh, lunar mining may be pretty close. One of the, the notable discoveries of the last few years, it looks pretty certain there's ice on the moon, water ice. Um, that becomes incredibly valuable because you can make fuel out of it. You can make uh, air to breathe out of it. Uh, you can use it for many, many industrial processes. And having that up on the moon rather than down here on Earth makes water very, very valuable on the moon. Um, there's There's going to be... A lot of the things we've read about in science fiction for the last 50 years is going to be real in the next decade. Well, and it's it's gone from, as you've said, it's past the giggle test, mm-hmm. and that I'm not, you know, neither one of us is sitting here with the wild hair going, it's aliens, it's right, aliens. Right. But this is business plans. This, this is, you know, show me your business case, show me the spreadsheets, how much money do you need, when do I make it back? It's a very different discussion um, than, you know, we're doing it for the glory of, I'm looking at an American flag on the radio, uh, for the glory of the flag, um, or uh, doing it for, you know, other na- nationalist reasons. This is, we're going to make money, um, and that means this time we'll go to stay. And that's the difference is rather than going, planting a flag, and coming back, this time we'll go, we'll stay, we'll eventually we'll raise children. There will be children born on the moon in our lifetimes. There may be children born on Mars. I'm not as certain about that. I'm certain about the moon. Um, there will be economic um, clusters of activity all around the near-Earth orbits uh, for the rest of our lifetimes. Well, and it's coming full circle on the what we've talked about on other buzz-off shows is the Internet of Things, the connected devices, and as you mentioned, the sensors. And it's... I, highlighting for me that the technology we're developing for different aspects, it's the reuse concept. It's mm-hmm. being reused. Not only is it guiding your car, but now your car's guiding off the satellite that was just lifted off perhaps from a private individual. So uh, thank you, Stephen, for dropping by, sharing us about your uh, panels and discussions and work and what what website could we go to to find out uh more information Stephen fleming uh follow you on twitter uh, everyone should look him up and y- you are a prolific social media uh, person so we'll look for tweets about it. Possibly too prolific, and, and the best website for the DragonCon panels is actually dragoncon.org. There's, there's a button there for Space Track, and uh, uh, there's also a Science Track. There's other other reality tracks, so it's uh, it's more than just comic books and costumes, although the comic books and costumes are a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, thank you to Stephen. Thank you to Rob. Thank you to America's Web Radio. Thank you to Hall Booth Smith, and thanks to everyone from for listening in. This is 
Lawyer Liz on Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. Tune in on America's Web Radio, iTunes, and look forward to chatting again next time. Thank you. Thanks, Liz. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.